Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. And you can follow along on page 6 in your bulletins. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children." Word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. So this past week, um, the New York Times columnist David Brooks wrote a uh, what I think is a very provocative. Um, op-ed. The title was, What If We're the Bad Guys Here? And in this essay, he wonders out loud that if the oft-told tale that is told by those um, who are opposed to um, the former president, Donald Trump, and his rise to power is true, and that story that people usually hear goes kind of like this. Donald Trump and his followers are a reactionary force filled basically with bigots who are afraid of the social progress that has been made in this nation over the last 50 or 60 years. And they either want to slow that progress down or turn back the clock and harm people of color and LGBTQ Americans. Those of us who oppose are the forces of enlightenment and progress. And we need to stand firm against these dangerous forces. Now, in light of January 6, it is hard not to feel this way, especially if you're someone that thinks that Donald Trump is not qualified for office and should not run for public office again. Brooks feels this way. I would add, I feel this way as well. But he also wonders, what if those who oppose Trump aren't always the good guys? What if, he says, we are the bad guys? And so Brooks tells this story, basically, of American culture from the 1960s onward. And it paints, in a way, a very different picture from the story that sometimes many of us hear and believe in. And this is what he writes. 
The story begins in the 1960s when high school grads had to go off to fight in Vietnam, but the children of the educated class got college deferments. It continues in the 1970s when the authorities imposed busing on working class areas in Boston, but not on the upscale communities like Wellesley, where they themselves lived. The ideal that we're all in this together was replaced with the reality that the educated class lives in a world up here, and everybody else was forced into a world down there. Members of our class are always publicly speaking out for the marginalized, but somehow we always end up building systems that serve ourselves. So what Brooks is saying here is that the cultural and economic changes that have benefited many people who are currently opposed to Trump did not always help those who we would say now support him, who are dealing with job insecurity and fractured family. Brooks continues, it's easy to understand why people in less educated classes would conclude that they are under economic, political, and cultural, and moral assault, and why they've rallied around Trump as their best warrior against the educated class. And he continues, Trump understood there was a great demand for a leader who would stick his thumb in our eyes on a daily basis and reject the whole epistemic regime that we wrote in on. Now, Brooks is no Trump supporter at all. But his article, I think, was right on, and I would say it was somewhat apocalyptic. And when I say apocalyptic, it's in the sense of the meaning, true meaning of the word, which is that it reveals something about the people. In, in this case, those of us who worry about the rise of Donald Trump. As someone myself, who comes from an economically depressed area, who grew up in an economically depressed area, and who has seen firsthand how working class families have been ripped apart by changes in our society, I tend to think he's correct. Just because we're on the right side of things doesn't mean that we're pure. When we're looking at this story of the feeding of the 5,000, it's one that is very familiar. It's actually in all four of the Gospels. And we talk about all these things like miracles or feeding the hungry. And maybe at times, if you want to get really fancy, we'll talk about greed or sharing or scarcity and abundance. But I think that this tale, this story, is also a revealing story because it reveals Jesus as the Savior, as Lord, as bread of life. But I think it also reveals the sin of those who might cling to power or apathy. We never read the first 12 verses, but you know that when it starts, this passage starts, it says that Jesus goes to a deserted place and you have to understand why. And what happened in those first 12 verses is that Jesus learns that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been executed by Herod. And Herod was the vassal ruler of Israel. He was placed there by Rome, and he got into trouble, at least 
by John the Baptist by saying that he was, had married the wife of his brother. And so, of course, John the Baptist called him out. Herod was a weak ruler, and so he had John placed in prison. He probably wanted to execute him, but because he was a weak ruler, he feared the crowd that really loved John, so he didn't have him killed. But his wife wanted him dead. And in a lurid tale, she's able to get their daughter to ask Herod for the head of John the Baptist. And that's exactly what Herod did. So Jesus hears this. And maybe knowing that he is on the road to the cross, knowing what is going to happen to him, he wants to go off by himself and pray. The crowds follow him, and the passage tells us that he has compassion for them. So he goes and he heals them, and he keeps healing them well into the evening. And it's at this time that the disciples come forward, and they basically tell Jesus the hour is late. And maybe it's time that we need to send the people away. And, you know, they'll get food in some of the nearby villages. Don't worry, there's probably a McDonald's or something open at this time. The disciples, in some ways, are revealed here because they're not very concerned about the crowd. Now, they have been Jesus' disciples probably for some time. They have seen what Jesus has done. And yet here, they seem to not understand it, understand his compassion. They're not concerned about the crowd. They basically say, it's not my problem. And in some ways, their sin here has been revealed. It's a sin of kind of apathy or selfishness. They don't really care about what is going to happen to these people. And in fact, Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. He places their responsibility on them. One of the things that was interesting during the 2016 campaign is that, and I heard this several times when I was listening to podcasts and everything, and people would talk about people who were living, again, in economically depressed areas like mine in Michigan, and what they could do, and how they were, had lost manufacturing jobs, good-paying jobs, what were they going to do? And the answer sometimes was to say, you can move. There's some truth to that. In some ways, that's part of our society, that we can go to other areas. But that's not always so easy to do. It felt, in some ways, uncaring and apathetic, leaving people to their fate just like what we saw here in Scripture with the disciples. But Jesus cuts through this lack of sympathy and tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. And so they are able to find the small food that is available, and Jesus takes the pieces of bread and fish and blesses it and gives it to the disciples to distribute. And the end result is that everyone is fed by this small meal. This story is a reminder that Jesus is the bread of life. 
the bread of life that breaks the bread in reminder that his body would be broken and given to us, for us all. He gives of himself, reminding us that God will provide and feed, especially those who are hungry. Every Sunday, we come here hungry for food. Not necessarily food is in a meal in this case, but we do come hungry for a meal at the table. And we gather at this table every Sunday. And we remember how Jesus broke the bread and lifted up the cup. And we remember how he became bread and wine through his death on the cross. It is this simple meal of bread and wine that feeds us. And it is at this meal that we are reminded that we are loved powerfully by a God who would go to any limit to heal and love us and make us whole. In gratitude, we then, we have to remember Jesus' words in today's text. Give them something to eat. Because today there are people who are hungry. There are some who are physically hungry. And we need to find ways to feed them. But there are also people who are hungry in other ways. People like the ones that David Brooks talked about. People that sometimes we don't want to associate ourselves with. And people that we have sometimes tried to ignore. And those people who then are shut out are then open to the voice and soothing words of demagogues who tell them and feed them lies. Ryan Burgey is a Baptist pastor, but he's also a sociologist of religion. A few weeks ago, he wrote something on his substack that was also quite provocative, where he says that religion has become a luxury good. And in the past, sometimes people have said that religion is the opiate of the masses, a way of keeping especially the working class or lower classes down. But what Burgi is saying is that it's a little bit different now. And this is what he writes. The way that I understand Christianity is that Jesus was especially concerned with people on the margins of society, the sick, the poor, and the outcast were high on his priority list. The, the, thus, churches, being the extension of Jesus' ministry, should focus their efforts on those exact same people. But the data says that is not happening. Just the opposite, in fact. Religion in the 21st century America has become an enclave for people who have done everything right. They have college degrees and marriages and children and middle-class incomes. For those who don't check all those boxes, religion is not just for them. And there is a lot of truth in that. That was also one of the things that I found as someone who follows politics interesting in 2016, that many of the original people who supported Donald Trump were people who rarely went to church. 
And many working class Americans these days don't go to church. Because in our culture, there are a lot of people who stop going to church because somewhere they have learned that church is for the winners. This is the modern way of telling people to go and find some food instead of finding ways to lead them to the bread of life that would feed them and heal them. Jesus had compassion for the crowds and healed them. Jesus had compassion on us and feeds us every Sunday and calls us his own. The question that we should be have in our hearts this morning is, do we have the compassion for the crowds of our days? Do we have compassion for those whose views we might not agree with, but who are hurting and who are hungry? The feeding of the 5,000 is a wonderful tale of feeding the hungry, but it also reveals how much we at times don't want to feed, follow Jesus' call. We want to send people away, and hopefully they'll find something on their own. May God forgive us for our stinginess, for our ingratitude. And may God give us hearts of gratitude and to care for those that we may not always like or agree with, but who need to be fed by the bread of life nonetheless. And may we continue to be, may we be a place, as Pope Francis has once said, a hospital for the sick and not a spa for the well-to-do. Thanks be to God. Amen.